Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we talk with blogger and author Chris Martin on how we, as millennials, can reach millennials. We also chat about his new book, Ministering to Millennials. Now, if you didn't know, In Doubt is a charity, and the end of this month, June, is the end of our budget year. At In Doubt, we rely on God's financial provision through the donations of generous people around the world. You know, as we finish our budget year, perhaps you consider helping us in this way. And it doesn't matter if you can only give a small amount, everything does count. And for those who faithfully have given or faithfully give every month, thank you so much for helping this ministry continue. Now, if you're interested in helping us end our budget year strong and start our next year strong as well, you can call us at 1-800-663-2425 or click the donate button at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. And I think what's most important is that people who are trying to reach millennials, be yourself. One of the most awkward things I ever see is like a youth pastor who's trying to be like his students. I would encourage you, if you're trying to better understand, reach, and equip millennials, to just be yourself. Don't try too hard because the people you're serving will recognize that. Hey, it's Isaac here. Hope you're all well. And I'm looking forward to sharing with you a conversation we have with Chris Martin, a millennial blogger and author who's done much research and work when it comes to, you know, millennials generally, but also millennials as they relate to the Christian faith. You know, whether or not you're a millennial yourself, this conversation will benefit you since it helps us understand the millennial culture a bit more. And Chris gives some practical helps to bring you to engage with this generation more effectively. And just for your awareness, if you forget uh, what, you know, the millennial generation is, it's anyone born from the early 80s to the late 90s. But anyways, so here's my conversation with Chris Martin. With me today is Chris Martin. Chris is an author, development specialist at Lifeway, and the guy behind Lifeway Social. He's blogged for many years and has just released a new book as well. So welcome back, Chris. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, you know, for those who have just recently started listening to Indel, we actually had Chris on the show back in February. Uh, we talked about how we can do social media well as Christians. It's a really important subject, so I'd love to direct you to that. It's episode 110, and it's called Social Media to the Glory of God. But anyways, Chris, to those who don't know you, what's your sort of brief two-minute summary of who you are? Yeah, sure. So I work at Lifeway Christian Resources here in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, I just help with all kinds of content, social media, online content strategy stuff within our organization. I also run a, uh, a little service called uh, Lifeway Social, which is purposed to help uh, Christian leaders, pastors, churches, uh, really anyone who wants to use social media kind of to the glory of God, as we described in our previous podcast. Um, so that's a significant amount of my my work. And then I have a personal blog on the side uh, called Millennial Evangelical. It's at millennialevangelical.com. And I've been doing that since about 2014 uh, when a friend, uh, Trevin Wax, uh, encouraged me to do so. Nice. Uh, and, and he kind of talked about the importance of uh, or a need that he recognized of pastors, particularly middle-aged and older pastors, to reach young people. And he thought that I could do a good job addressing that. So he encouraged me to do that. And uh, so I've been doing that since 2014. And yeah, so that's just a little bit about me and the, and the work I've been doing. And uh, like you just said, I just published a new book along those same lines in mid-April it released. So Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what I, I, I would love to talk to you about today, this new book that you published called Ministering to Millennials. Um, I guess the first question, which is pretty basic, but it can also be very deep, 
Uh, but we'll just keep it at the basic level. Tell us what this book really is about. And you kind of already said, you know, what Millennial Evangelical serves is sort of the same thing their book serves. But why did you write it? Sure. So I started the Millennial Evangelical blog in May 2014. And um, when I first started, I was actually like super opposed to doing anything millennial centric. Like <laughs> Uh, generational studies has been interesting to me since I first read a book called The Millennials. Um, so it's always been kind of interesting to me, but I also understand the kind of perception that it's pretty gimmicky too. Like I understand that, like I have a t-shirt that some my wife bought me for Christmas and my birthday that says, uh, it's like a collage of headlines from articles on the internet about everything millennials are killing. <laughs> um, and so it is kind of cliche. And so even back in 2014, I recognized that and I was really opposed to doing it, uh, but Trevin Wax, like I just said, who's a, a blogger, author, uh, works at Lifeway, was mentoring me at the time and still does to some extent, and uh, he was encouraging me to start a blog along these lines, and I, I really pushed back against it, but he, he really just said, look, it's a need that I think you can address, and I think you should use the gifts God has given you to address it, so that's why I started the blog, and I was going about it for a couple of years, and then a friend of mine who kind of helped me get the blog started from a technical side. He helped me set it all up. His name is Jonathan Howe. And he said, uh, we were having lunch one day and he was like, you should try the millennial thing as a book. And I was like, really? Like, I'm so young. At that point, I was like 25. And because this is like 2015, early 2016. And he was like, yeah, just, you know, see if someone can get you kind of what a sample book proposal looks like and, and try to pitch it as a book. And I said, okay. So I tried it then and, and nobody took it, but I was shooting for the biggest publishers, right? <laughs> um, Lifeway and others. And and uh, Lifeway wouldn't even take it, which I didn't expect them to because I'm, I'm nobody. Nobody knows who I am. So I pitched it to a bunch of big publishers and nobody took it. So I just kind of tabled it. I was in seminary at the time. Probably didn't even have any uh, time to be writing a book anyway. And then about a year later in uh, summer 2016, I pitched it again uh, to some smaller publishers and someone took it. And the, the whole point of it is helping pastors, church leaders, parents, uh, really anyone who's interested, but particularly those people, better understand millennials, uh, reach unbelieving millennials with the gospel, and equip millennials who already believe the gospel with tools for ministry, to equip them to do ministry. So there's a section for each of those in the book. The book's broken down into three major sections, a few chapters. I think it's three chapters per section. So three chapters on helping people better understand millennials, three chapters on helping people reach millennials with the gospel, and three chapters on equipping believing millennials with tools to do gospel ministry. That's awesome. That sounds so good. And you know, it's interesting because it is a generational specific book, like from your point of view, and I mean, you could write it very specifically, you could write it a little bit more generally, but I'm just thinking, how much life do you think this book has, if that makes yeah. sense? That's a, that's a really good question. I mean, honestly, like when I was finishing writing it, well, I, I think a lot of authors would tell you this. By the time I was finishing writing it, like I was sick of it and just <laughs> wanted it to be over with. And even like, you know, in the sort of processing time from when I submitted the first draft manuscript to the time that it was published. I mean, I submitted my first draft in July of last year and it came out, you know, in April of this year. So, so nine, nine months or whatever. Over that nine months, I just kind of like forgot about it. And, and you know, over time, I was like, this book is just getting more irrelevant every day that passes. And that was my that was my thought. And, and you know, I wanted it to release immediately because, it, like you said, it is such a timely thing. You know, I don't know how much life it has. Millennials are going to be around for a long time, uh, you know. So I think it's going to be relevant to that extent. But millennials are going to be changing, you know. So I don't, they might have a five-year shelf life. 
But I think it's important to note that um, millennials and Gen Zers or iGeners, the, the folks following millennials, the people in high school, basically birth to high school right now, are a lot like millennials. Now, I think over time they're going to show how they're different from millennials. But millennials and those who follow them, those who are younger than them, are more similar than millennials and those who came before them. And so I think the book, even though it's called Ministering to Millennials, I think there is a, a significant amount of application that even a youth pastor today could apply to the students in his youth group, even though they're not technically millennials. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so good. Now, uh, Chris, you write that after analyzing dozens of millennial studies, and this is your quote, I've concluded that only one generalization can be made about the millennial generation. It is too diverse to generalize. So I guess, can you bring this statement to life just with what you mean by that? What, what do you mean? Yeah. So one of the most common critiques that people often have of generational study in general is that it's too stereotypical. That, and this is, I address this right at the outset in the introduction of the book. I say, isn't generational study hogwash? Isn't it just pointless? You could say anything. Isn't it just like reading a horoscope? You could say anything about a generation and it's going to be true for someone. And yes, to some extent that's true. But when it comes to millennials, I make that statement that the only generalization you can truly make about them is that they're too diverse to generalize is because uh, millennials are the most diverse generation in, in American history, at least in United States history. I would say probably in North American history in general. Um, they're the most diverse racially, ethnically. Uh, I would say that's what people mean when they say you, you might see headlines sometimes or if you read studies that are like, this is the most uh, ethnically diverse generation in American history. And it's true. Now, iGen is already kind of going to show they're going to be like they're going to beat us at that. And it's going to like I think every subsequent generation is going to be more ethnically diverse. Like it's every generation is going to be topped. But the millennials has, has been for a long time. And so I think ethnically they're diverse. Ideologically, they're diverse. Uh, politically, they're diverse. Religiously, they're diverse. Um, Americans, for a long time, have been some. I mean, you know, we're we've always always been a melting pot, but they've been semi-monolithic. And and I think as millennials are showing us, because of so many different immigrant groups and so many different uh, marriages across racial lines or ethnic lines, there are just all kinds of different people that haven't really been in generations before. And I think because of that reality it's harder to make generalizations about the millennial generation that maybe some folks have been able to make in the past. Sure. Yeah. So that proves pretty difficult for you then, having written yeah, this whole right. book, right? So no, that's awesome. Now, uh, many, many of those listening, I mean, right now to us are millennials. You and I are also in this camp. So for those of us who have a, a burden and this passion and this zeal to share Christ with our millennial peers, I'm just, you know, what are three to five things you'd think would be necessary for us to understand about our generation uh, so that we can be the most effective in reaching them. Sure. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is that family and relationships are more important than institutions. Now, family is an institution, but when you think about how church is conducted, there are some churches that feel more like a family gathering and some church experiences that feel a bit more institutional and perhaps cold or rigid. I guess you could say. Millennials tend to be pretty institutionally averse. Uh, they're not huge fans of institutions. Now, this is not to say institutions need to go away. I work for a big one. Um, and I think institutions are valuable. But I think when it comes to the local church experience, 
it's important for us, and that, that applies to Sunday morning gatherings or community group times or whatever that looks like for, for your church. I think the making the atmosphere uh, feel a bit more familial and relationship-driven rather than institution-driven can be key. And that doesn't mean you have to change your values or anything like that. This is just sort of practical advice for how you present the biblical content you need to be presenting. So this is why community groups and small group settings are so huge for millennials. It feels more like a family, a support system, than a sort of big institutional machine that people are feeling a part of. So, so that's an important one. Uh, I put a huge emphasis on humility. I think humility is everything when it comes to having conversations about faith matters with millennials, especially those who don't believe. Um, so I think what I mean when I say humility is everything, well, something that, and this is sort of a social media conversation, but I think it applies in, in just normal conversation as well. There's this tendency to not give people the benefit of the doubt and to assume the worst about people. Or, you know, like if you're having a conversation with an unbeliever, you may be tempted to assume that they're anti-Christian or they're, you know, super opposed to the gospel. Whereas maybe they're just unsure, you know, they just genuinely don't know. Or, um, or they might have doubts that they, you know, significant doubts about the Christian faith that they express. It, it might be tempting to get defensive or assume they're trying to attack. And I think it's important to just kind of have the humility to say, uh, my assumptions about these people may be wrong. And I need to see them as they see themselves. Now, I understand, you know, this, you can have this whole conversations about the LGBT issue. I think that the biblical ethic of sexuality is the one we need to be preaching and adhering to. But I think when having conversations with people who are uh, promoting the LGBT um, lifestyle and identities, I think it's important to hear them out, to let them define themselves and basically play on their home turf and show that the gospel is better in a way that you'll actually get a hearing. Um, so rather than coming in and just browbeating people, having the humility to come in and say, I, you know, say kind of to yourself, I, I know that the gospel is better than this. How can I have a conversation with this person in sort of a, a savvy enough way that I'm not just hitting them over the head with the fact that I think the gospel is better, but I actually kind of just show them within their train of thought, within their, within what they believe to be true, that this way is better. So, and that requires a significant amount of humility. Third, I think you should be ready to reason, be ready to prove, be ready to make your case. So one of the things I write in the book, and I've said, as I've spoken about millennials a number of times, is that, you know, a person, a 15-year-old growing up in Des Moines, Iowa in 1965, had a very different experience than a 15-year-old growing up in Des Moines, Iowa in 2005. Um, in a number of ways, obviously. But one of the biggest ways is that a 15-year-old growing up in Des Moines, Iowa in 2005 was able to access a vast network of websites, social media platforms, Wikipedia, Google, that may have exposed the 15-year-old in 2005 to vastly different ideas and ideologies, political, theological, or otherwise, than the person in 1965 who largely probably grew up looking, thinking, and acting like other people who lived in Des Moines, Iowa in 1965. So I think because of this, young people, whether they be millennials just out of college or even 
uh, Gen Z uh, kids who are high school and younger, they're being exposed to a wide variety of ideas and thoughts about life and how life is to be lived and what the meaning of life is at a much younger age than anyone before them. And, and so I think what this means is that we need to be more than ever, uh, be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have, you know, be ready to have those. And this goes back to the humility thing. Um, people aren't just going to take what you say at face value. They're going to ask you to be able to defend it or prove it or, or whatever. And that's not to say we can reason someone into the faith. Don't hear me saying that. Um, but I do think it's important that when we're trying to have conversations about faith issues with millennials, whether they believe and that maybe they're just having a tough time and they need to be encouraged or they don't believe and you're trying to show them that the gospel is, is a better way, um, I think it's important for us to know that we can't just expect to be able to say, the gospel is the right way. Don't you understand? But be able to actually explain why. That's so good. And I, I think like you sort of pretty much just answered my next question about how how exactly would it look like to preach the gospel to someone, you know, the Des Moines kid in 1960s to compare it to the one in 2005. Yeah. So I think that that's important. I, I like that a lot. That's really good. Yeah. One note on that. I, I think, you know, there are faith conversations that can go in all kinds of different ways. I think it's uh, I think it's D.L. Moody who said that I like the way I evangelize better than the way you don't. And uh, so, so I'm hesitant to critique the way anyone shares the gospel uh, because I think the Lord can work through in, in any number of ways. But, but I will reiterate that I think, you know, I wasn't around 50 years ago, so I can't say what gospel conversations largely looked like 50 years ago. But I think today... It, it should be understood that a, a gospel conversation might look a lot more like two friends who have had a trustworthy, lasting relationship with one another having a conversation about faith over coffee rather than stopping a stranger in a grocery store aisle and asking where they think they would go tonight if they died. <laughs> right. Um, I think that that method may just not be as effective with millennials as perhaps it has been with previous generations. Absolutely. That, 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 that's a good point there for sure. Um, Chris, as we kind of begin to wrap this up, what are some practical ways that uh, we as Christian millennials can really just kind of keep updated with the millennial culture of our day? Because it, it feels like culture does move pretty fast. Um, yeah. How can we stay relevant with our generation? Yeah, it's kind of a funny question. I think, I think you're relevant with your own generation simply by being a part of it. You don't, I don't know that you really have to try I think you just be who you are and you will be defining your generation. I think we need to try to better understand those who are younger and older than us. Um, I think that's best done really by spending time with people. Whether you're trying to better understand the generation of which you are a part or you're trying to understand people who are younger or, or you're trying to understand people who are older. I think studying people, and not impersonally, but personally. I mean, one of the best pieces of marriage advice I ever received was study your wife. I think the same applies to reaching people of our same generation or younger or older. I'm a student pastor at my church or student minister at my church, and I could read books on iGeners all day, but the way I'm going to learn most about them is by having them over to my house to play video games and have conversations about life. Um, so I think, I think that's really the most practical way we can do that. I love it. Um, this next one is kind of a personal question I think others would be uh, interested in, and that is this. 
What do you think has a more positive light towards non-Christians? You have one, a Christian millennial who adopts many kind of the trends of millennials in order to reach out and befriend them. So, you know, this could be just what they're wearing, their social media trends, cultural slang, all that kind of stuff. Or a Christian millennial who lives sort of you know, counterculture and tries to look and act a lot different than their peers. Um, and maybe there's a place for both, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are for that. I think, I think there may be a place for both. I think one may look, one may be more appealing to one group of millennials and one may be more appealing to another group of millennials. I think, you know, I'm active on social media because it's interesting to me, not because I'm trying to, you know, fit in or, or get people to accept me. And I think, What's most important is that people who are trying to reach millennials, be yourself. One of the most awkward things I ever see, whether it be about millennials or, or anyone else, is like a youth pastor who's trying to be like his students or something <laughs> like that. Uh, right. I would encourage you, if you're trying to better understand, reach, and equip millennials, uh, to just be yourself. Don't try too hard because uh, the people you're serving will recognize that. I'm more concerned about us who are trying to minister to millennials understanding them than I am about trying to become like them or adhere on the outside to what they may want. So I think if you're a trendy person and you like to keep up with the latest in fashion or the latest in social media or cultural language and slang, do your thing. Like if if that's how you are, go for it. Because some people are, are like that. I'm not fashionable. I almost see myself as kind of a a mix of these two. I, when I think about me relating to my iGen youth group, I like to keep up with what they're watching on YouTube and I'll, I'll ask them what their favorite YouTubers are and I'll watch them. I like to keep up with what kind of music they're listening to so that I can understand it. And sometimes I come to like those things, but I don't try to act like I'm in on the game so they'll accept me. I, I try to act like I'm interested so they know that I care about them. I think there's a difference. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's really powerful. That's really good. You know, thanks so much, Chris. I I really did appreciate our conversation today. Um, If you're interested in what Chris has been talking about in regards to reaching millennials, then I definitely, you know, suggest that you go check out his new book, Ministering to Millennials. And I'll provide all the links relevant to this conversation, including the book on this episode page, including a link to Lifeway Social. It's just, again, like what Chris was saying at the beginning of the show today, it's an excellent resource on how to do social media well Uh, for the sake of the gospel. I know I benefited a lot from reading the different blogs and things like that. So anyways, it's great to be with you again, Chris. Yeah, great to talk with you, man. Talk to you later. That was blogger and author Chris Martin. And again, for more about Chris, you can hit up millennialevangelical.com and lifewaysocial.com. You know, as I consider the millennial generation, those that are born from the, you know, the early 80s to the late 90s, I really see this new challenge among reaching Canadian young adults, millennials, for the gospel today. And I kind of want to share with you what I think that challenge is and how we can effectively engage it. So first, let's consider where young adults are today in their faith habits. You know, for the longest time, the narrative we've heard was that young people are leaving the church in droves. And although that isn't completely false in our day, I don't think it quite accurately describes today's young adults. In fact, I think what we're seeing is quite surprising. Um, A recent article looking uh, at an Angus Reid poll records that roughly 20% of young people in Canada are public about their faith, and that might be Christianity, Sikhism, Islam, etc. Now, the report continues to show that 30% are more private in their beliefs 
with another 30% skeptical, leaving 20% confident in their atheism. Now, this is quite, you know, telling in terms of the general beliefs of young adults today in Canada. You know, we're seeing about 50% of young people who are either, you know, publicly or privately holding some sort of faith with another 30% who are skeptical. That's 80% who aren't necessarily opposed to the supernatural. Now, that rough percentage, I mean, it's definitely encouraging. That's 80%. But there's so much more to consider because everyone is so different. And I, and I can, however, though, just mention one other piece of the puzzle that alludes to today's new challenge. An upcoming guest we're going to have on In Doubt is Christian apologist Abdu Murray. And in his new book called Saving Truth, he enlightens us with the fact that today's culture deems confusion as a virtue and clarity as a sin. In other words, you know, being unsure, uncertain, and confused about God, faith, Jesus, religion, identity, sexuality, etc. is looked on as a good and even mature thing. But as soon as you mention that you're sure, you're certain, and clear on any one or more of those things, you're seen as close-minded and irresponsible. So, the very, and I want to stress the very, the very general climate of Canadian young adults today is that the vast majority are at least open to some sort of spiritual reality, but they're very cautious of anything that claims certainty. And therein lies the new challenge. So how do we reach young adults for the gospel in that kind of arena? I just want to, you know, throw at you three ways and you can feel free to add more. But number one is this, don't just talk it, live it. You know, yes, talking about the historical facts of the Bible are important. And yes, explaining the logic of the gospel is important. And yes, Giving praises to God on Sunday is important. However, if our talking, explaining, and praises never transform our lives, then those things are meaningless. You know, young adults want to see truth that seriously changes people. So, you know, go read the letter of James in your Bibles and go live your faith. Number two, reject the quote-unquote, it's impossible mindset. You know, it's tempting to think reaching young adults in this, you know, challenging spiritual climate is an impossible task, but it isn't. You know, spiritual conversations are still taking place today and people are still being saved. And, you know, you, know, you, you consider the housing market that's set by the buyers, right? Evangelism today is, in one sense, set by the believers. If more believers rejected the impossibility mindset, then we'd see more spiritual conversations and more salvations. And for clarity's sake, I just want to point out that I fully do believe in the Holy Spirit's full and complete action in saving a soul. Yet, oftentimes, he does this through us. And the last one is this, number three, unashamedly emphasize biblical truth and biblical mystery, awe, and wonder. Here's what a skeptical young adult in Canada needs to know. Though God has clearly and definitely given us all we need to know about him, us, our world, and salvation, he hasn't given us a knowledge of everything. Young adults want to hear pastors and church leaders say, I don't know. And I believe if they are faithful to the Bible, that they should. You see, there is mystery in the certainty. We shouldn't be afraid of that. In fact, young adults want mystery. They want awe. They want wonder. So let's give it to them. You know, there's a lot more uh, work to be done, and it's not just the job of a few. You know, reaching Canadian young adults with the gospel is the work of grandmothers, uncles, friends, bus drivers, cashiers, nephews, children, photographers, filmmakers, the unemployed, and farmers. So, in light of this new challenge, Will you live your faith? Will you reject the it's impossible mindset? And will you share the mysteries in the certainties? And I hope you do. Trust God for your strength. And remember, the Holy Spirit does the saving. Anyways, if you're listening on the radio and missed the beginning of this program, you can always head to our site, indoubt.ca, to catch up on this episode and all our past episodes from January 2016 to this very day. 
Also, if you're interested in helping us fulfill our budget for this year, you can call us at 1-800-663-2425 or click the donate button at indo.ca if you live in Canada or indo.com if you live in the States. Connect with us online this week via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we talk about a sensitive yet extremely important issue, especially uh, in our day and age, that is sexual assault and sexual abuse with author and pastor Justin Holcomb. We'll see you then. Indoubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.